Who is the worst sinner you know? No, it's not the person sitting next to you. But I think all of us can immediately begin a list of names in current context or historical context of those we would identify as some of the worst sinners the world has ever known. Well, is there any hope for that type of sinner? Somebody that we would say, "Ah, that's a bad sinner. Is there any hope for that kind of sinner? And we're going to see that the answer is yes. I'm going to prove to you from God's word that that answer is unequivocally yes. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. But we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as we're studying the heroes of faith from this great hall of faith of Old Testament saints. And we've got an interesting verse in Hebrews 11 verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Now that's a great sentence. It's one of my favorite sentences in all the Bible. Because it it helps us see that there is hope for sinners, that God will give you the faith that is required as a sinner to experience a life with God. So what's the context? What's going on? Well, let's kind of review for a moment. We find that Moses was in Egypt with the children of Israel. God had called Moses to lead them out to the promised land. And so they cross the Red Sea. They make their way to the promised land. And Joshua sends 12 spies, or Moses, excuse me, sends 12 spies into the promised land and to come back and to give a report about what is going on. Well, 10 come back and say, no way. I mean, there are giants in the land. It's not going to work. We're going to get defeated and uh, turn back. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we can take the land. God's given us the promise, and let's do it. The children of Israel believed the ten spies, and that's what caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Later in the book of Hebrews, it says that, or earlier, excuse me, it says that, that uh, they died because of their unbelief. They were unwilling to believe God through Moses in taking the promised land. And so they wandered in the wilderness. That generation died off. Now in chapter 2 of Joshua, we find that, that the 40 years has passed. Joshua has moved the children of Israel, or Moses has actually, right up to the east bank of the Jordan River. They're going to cross over into the promised land. Joshua will lead them. Moses will not because of his own sin. And they're going to camp at Gilgal. Gilgal was a small place just on the west side of the Jordan River. And that becomes the base camp for all of the conquest. They're going to go across, all the way across uh, the land. And then they're going to go south. And then they're going to go to the north. But Gilgal is the base camp. And so it is there that the Bible says that they're ready to go over. And Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. That's going to be the first battle. They're in Gilgal. They're getting ready to go to Jericho, the first battle. 
that we're going to study about next Sunday, the faith that is required when we're in the battle. But here we find an interesting commentary about this woman, Rahab. So the two spies are, are going into the city of Jericho to scout it out and see what's going on. The Bible says Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will, we will show you kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country, so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. The men said to her, we will, be with, we will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your, families, all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, this blood, his blood will be on our heads. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. And after they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the, men returned, then, the, then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking 
because of us. Now, in this story that we see today, what is the faith of a sinner? The faith of a sinner. Well, first of all, the faith of a sinner believes in the promise of God. The promise of God. Verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that dread of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. Well, they began to hear reports and Rahab specifically believed in the promise of God that he was going to give this land to the children of Israel. But what about us? What should we be believing concerning the promise of God? Well, first of all, that God has given you a new life in Christ. That you're able to have that new life in the Lord Jesus. Secondly, that you can have an abundant life. That's a promise that God has given. Jesus said, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So that's the promise of God that he's given us. That you can experience the fullness of life. You can have everything that you need for this life. As Peter writes, that we've been given everything for life and godliness in this life that we live. And so we can have an abundant life. And finally, we can have eternal life. The Bible over and over again describes us as pilgrims. We're just passing through. This is not our home. Thank God that one day we will be in our heavenly home forever. She had to choose who she was going to believe. And she chose to believe God. She chose to believe the report about God, about who he was. Now, often, these who find themselves in great sin, of course, if they were in Israel itself, it meant that this type of woman would be stoned to death. And so Satan himself, or Satan uses people to throw stones at us as sinners. And what are we going to do with those stones? That's the question. Now, you have several options of what you can do with the stones that Satan or other people will hurl at you. The first is that you can use those stones to bury yourself. You can believe the lie that Satan has put in your mind and in your heart about yourself, about your sin, that you, you, there's no hope for you. You cannot be used by God. You cannot have a relationship with God. You're too bad a person for God to forgive you. Well, you can bury yourself that way, and many do. Secondly, you can use those stones to build a wall. That means that you come to the point where you say, nothing is enough unless I am enough. In counseling, I find at times that there are those who are very open to receive counsel and to receive help until a certain point in the conversation. It may not be in the first session, it could be later, but there comes a point where all of a sudden you find that they've, they've been very open, and then you ask a question, you, you bring up a subject, and the wall goes up. They shut down, and they're not going to talk about it. And sometimes they'll just say, I, I can't go there, which I respectfully move on if they choose not to do that. But that's what can happen, that you can build a wall. And so ultimately, that is going to have a major negative effect in your life. That you're not going to experience true freedom. You're not going to experience all of the abundant life that God wants you to experience. And it's going to affect others around you when they're not able to really know who you are. You know, we're often so afraid of being rejected. And the attitude is this. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Therefore, I'm never going to let you know me. 
I'm not going to open up to you because if you really knew who I was, if you really knew things about me that you would not accept me. The fact is this, God already knows. God knows everything you've said and done. So what are you going to do with the stones that others throw against you? The last one is the best option, and that is build a bridge to God. Let those stones motivate you to move toward God and to experience the life that God has for you. Not the life that you think you have, not the life that Satan has, has uh, assigned to you. That is not true. It's a lie from hell. Or believe the truth and the promise of God. Rahab believed the promise of God. Do you believe the promise of God? You need to believe what God has said about you. As we read from the very beginning in the book of Genesis that you're created in the image of God. That you're made in his likeness. And it doesn't mean you are a God. It just means that you are like God. That you bear the character of God. Now that sentence in the Bible is not just to believers. It is about all of his uh, the individuals he's created. Whether they are follower of God or not. They bear the image of God. There are things about them. There are attributes of God already in them because of who they are as a human being. That's how God is revealing himself. There are things about human beings that bear the likeness of God. I don't have time to get into all of that. But if that is true, if I'm made in the likeness of God, it means that God loves me. It means that I am forgiven. I can be forgiven by God of my sin. It means that my life has value, meaning, and purpose so that it's not over even though I am a sinner. So she chose to believe the promise of God. The faith of a sinner also believes in the power of God, not just the promise. And there's a process by which we appropriate that. First is through the conscience. There's an awareness of our need. Notice in verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. Now that happened in Numbers 21. As Moses is leading the children of Israel up the east bank of the Jordan River, positioning themselves to cross over into the promised land, they encountered Sion and Og. And there the Bible tells us how they were defeated. Well, everybody in Canaan heard about it. They heard about that. They heard about the Red Sea, the crossing over. And so it had an impact on the witness of God. You see, a sinner sees and hears about the power of God working in your life. They become aware there's a God consciousness within them. And then that's where it begins. Secondly, it leads to conviction. In verse 11, when we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage Everyone's courage failed because of you. Now, what, what, what are they realizing? They're realizing I'm on the wrong side of this equation. I'm in a pagan land of Canaan. And there are people who, are, who, who many believe are God's people. They do believe that the land is going to be taken over. At least Rahab believed that. And so all of a sudden, there's this fear that overcomes. And there is a deep conviction about it. And that leads to confession, verse 11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Your God is God. So do you believe in the power of God? 
is the power of God operating in your life. What does that mean? It means that your mind is changing. That you're thinking more like the mind of Christ. Where your focus is, where your, your mind is. Secondly, your will is changing. What your desire is, what you believe God wants of your life. And what is the true mission of your life? That begins to change. And then your actions are changing. It gives evidence to what you profess, what you believe, uh, what you, you think about God and about yourself. How do I know that? It's by the way in which a person lives. So the faith of a sinner believes in the promise of God, the power of God, but notice third, believes in the protection of God. Now, how does that happen? Well, first of all, the Bible says she humbled herself, verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. She shows her humility in her attitude and in her actions. Listen, pride and arrogance isn't going to get you anywhere, and it shows more of the flesh than it does of God. Humility is the picture of Jesus Christ. Again, Philippians 2 said he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He chose to step out of heaven. It was God's plan, but he chose to do that himself. Notice, secondly, she followed their instructions. Some would say, well, she did this just to save her life. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that her faith and her obedience lined up, that she believed by faith. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Rahab hid the spies so that she could be delivered. And so her obedience to God's plan demonstrated her faith. James has a commentary about Rahab, chapter 2, verse 25. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? So her faith and her works lined up. Notice also that she was delivered. What happened? Let's go to chapter 6. I want to read verse 22. <clears throat> the Bible says this, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, the two spies, go to the prostitute's house and bring the women out of there and all who are with her just as you promised her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned up the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she lives in Israel to this day. It's interesting that Joshua put a curse on Jericho as you read in the next few verses. And it says that if any man tries to rebuild the city of Jericho, that his firstborn will die immediately. Jericho wasn't built for 550 years until you read in 1 Kings chapter 16 when a man tried to rebuild the city of Jericho and immediately his firstborn died. God is serious about sin. But God is faithful in helping those who are sinners. And so we see that she was delivered. Now, what all does that mean? What was the sign of her deliverance? 
What was the sign of her deliverance? Very interesting. It was the red cord in the window. It wasn't a blue cord or a white cord or an orange cord. It was a red, it was a scarlet cord that was in the window. Now what does that mean? When the men saw the red cord, that was the house. Her house was safe. She was going to be delivered. It points back to what we studied last week. When the Passover took place, the very first one in Egypt, when they had put the blood, the scarlet blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their house, the death angel passed over. When the death angel saw the red blood, which only points, both of these point to what? The scarlet blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, all through the Old Testament, we see how everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything points to him that the hope for all sinners is the cross. And that's where you and I are delivered. Now, what specifically was her deliverance? What was her reward for her faith? First of all, she was saved. Her life was spared and all those who were with her, just like all those who were in the ark, They were saved as well. Notice she was able to live in Israel. The end of Joshua 6 says that she was able to live there. Third, she married a man named Salmon. We don't know anything about Salmon. But a woman who had been a prostitute gets her life right with God. And God gives her a great hope and a great future with a husband named Salmon. She became the mother next to Boaz that we read about, of course, in the Old Testament. And then her great-great-grandson would be David, the king of Israel, the greatest king Israel ever had. And then when you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you see that she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Yes, even a prostitute God would use purposefully I mean, think of all the women that could have been listed in the Bible. Think of all the sinners that it could have been listed in the Bible. And here, he lists a prostitute as one who is in the lineage of our own Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as I conclude today, I want to focus in on a few things. There are four types of Rahabs in our world today. There are Rahabs who can't break out from being Rahabs. At least they think that. And so they've come to accept it. And they're content in that. And they really don't see any need for change in their life because that's their lot in life. They have believed the lie of the enemy. Or they feel absolutely defeated. They don't see any way out. They've tried to get out of that life of sin, whatever that sin might be not just prostitution, but they don't see any way out. There are Rahabs who are trying to be Christians. Either they're searching for that, they know about that, they want that, or they have come to know Christ, but they need our help. And that's where the body of Christ comes and engages sinners and helps them who are coming out of a very difficult life, hurts, habits, or hang-ups. And they need the body of Christ to come alongside of them And to help them. There are Rahabs who are being loved by Christians. They're not Christians yet. They might even know they have a need. 
But who are the Rahabs in your life that you're trying to love and trying to help? And to try to help them see that there's a better way, that there's hope in Christ. Then there are Rahabs who are being ignored by Christians because they don't know Rahabs exist. We get with our four and no more and that's life. And we're totally disengaged, disconnected from a world of sinners. And in the Bible, we see the greatest example of one who was able to engage sinners, and that is Jesus Christ. I want us to look at another woman who was a great sinner in Luke chapter 7. Here's what the Bible says. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, implied prostitute, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that a beautiful story? Though she was a sinner, she was noticed by Jesus. She could approach Jesus. She could serve Jesus. She was loved by Jesus. She was forgiven by Jesus. She departed in peace, not turmoil. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God forgives the unforgivable. He forgives you. God changes the unchangeable. God changes the unlikely. Yes, you are a sinner, but you can be forgiven of your sin and experience a new life. How? For by grace, God's grace, are you saved through faith. Leonard Ravenhill visited David Wilkerson in New York City. David, many of you may know the story of his inner city mission. And he had an incredible ministry there. And Ravenhill went to visit the ministry and they attended a meeting. 
And there, he said, I was surrounded by former prostitutes, former alcoholics, and drug addicts. And all of a sudden, in the meeting, a man stood up and said, let's sing the national anthem. And so, as they began to sing, many in the room began to weep uncontrollably. They were overcome with emotion. As they sang their national anthem, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. They saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Who's the worst sinner you know? They knew they were sinners. You see, the worst sinner I know is me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I become aware of my sin, and I want my sin forgiven, and I want to know God, and I want to experience the love and life of God in me. Well, the great news about this message today is, as we've seen, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, what sin you have committed, there's room at the cross for you. And this morning, I want to offer you the great invitation that the Lord Jesus offered to the masses. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come during the song to one of the pastors who are here. And we'll help you make that commitment of your life to Christ. There might be some in the room who would say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm a believer. But I'm having a hard time overcoming my sin. It may be that you're having a hard time overcoming the guilt of your sin, forgiving yourself. Uh, Maybe the habit of the sin. You love the Lord and you're really trying, but, but you need encouragement, you need help. Well, the Lord is with you right now and He wants to help you. Maybe it's time to reconnect and, and recommit this issue to Him. But I also encourage you to get some people around you who are believers who will help you and encourage you. And that leads me to my next point. It's why God may be leading some of you to become part of our church family. Look, we all need each other. You need us, we need you to fulfill God's mission. He's created the church, the body of Christ. And it is through the church that the gospel is to be made known. So I invite you to come today to join us in how God is using Linwood in our community and around the world. There might be others that you just need a quiet moment here at the altar. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. You come and let us know and we'll do that. God, thank you that you love sinners like me and like all of us in this room. Thank you that we have hope and that we have a promise. Help us to believe your promise, not the lie of the enemy. And help these who need to make commitments today. In Jesus' name, amen.